Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. Pasta is one of the greatest foods that humanity has ever created. As far as I'm concerned, in terms of wonders of the world, it is right up there with the pyramids and the internet. It is delicious, it's flexible, it goes with basically anything, and it is made of awesome, energy-providing carbohydrates. I grew up with pasta. As a kid, I made fresh pasta at home with my mother, and I always marveled at the array of shapes it could come in, and also the various ways it could be cooked and prepared. And, like any kid presented with a cool new thing, I wanted to know where it came from, how we got it, what its deal was. Someone, I don't know who, told me that Marco Polo, the famous Venetian traveler, brought it to Italy from China, that he encountered Chinese noodles on his various peregrinations, liked them, brought them home, and it caught on, and that afterward it was an essential part of Italian cuisine. This story is everywhere. If you read or listen to something about the origin of pasta, somebody will mention this Marco Polo bit. And because of its ubiquity, because everyone talks about it, you might think that this is something of an Italian legend, or some bit of Italian folklore, or some long-standing oral tradition about one of Italy's big travel heroes. But it's not. This Marco Polo thing that gets into any and all articles and podcasts and TV shows and everything about the origin of pasta, it doesn't come from Italy. It's not even particularly old. No, this story most likely dates from a 1929 trade publication called the Macaroni Journal, which sought to give an account of the legendary origin of pasta. Here's a relevant section. October 1929, in an article called A Saga of Cathay. Legend has it that one day, while cruising near the coast of Cathay, that is, China, he was informed, that is, Marco Polo was informed, by one of his men that the ship's supply of water was running dangerously low and would require immediate replenishment. Accordingly, he steered his ship as close to the shore as safety would permit and sent several of his men off in a small boat in a quest for fresh water. One of the sailors in the party was a Venetian named Spaghetti, and it is around this man that the legend centers. When the small boat reached the beach, the three or four sailors comprising the party separated, each striking out in a different direction. They knew there would be fresh water close by, but of course did not know its exact location. Spaghetti, in his search, soon came to a little patch of huts. He realized that water must be close. But before advancing into the village, his attention was drawn to a native man and woman working over a crude mixing bowl. The woman appeared to be mixing a dough of some kind, particles of which had overflowed the mixing bowl and extended to the ground. The warm, dry air, characteristic of the country, had in a short time hardened these slender strings of dough and had made them extremely brittle. Spaghetti observed the ingredients used, the simple method of mixing, and it immediately occurred to him that a dry food of this kind would be a welcome addition to their ship's menu. His curiosity prompted him to approach the couple and make known his wants as best he could. Through signs and gestures, he managed to obtain a quantity of the grains used in making this strange dough, also a batch of the ready-mixed dough and several strings which had dried. So excited was he over his discovery that he completely forgot to look further for water, but hurried back to rejoin his comrades. 
After relating his experience, upon returning to the ship, Spaghetti worked the entire quantity of dough into long, slender ribbons. As they dried, he broke them into shorter and more convenient lengths. The problem of preparing the food had not been given much thought, and it was one which would have to be experimented upon. The sticks were not palatable if eaten dry, and when cooked in fresh water were not much better. Thereupon, Spaghetti conceived the idea of boiling the strips in seawater, which, as everyone knows, is intensely salty. The method seemed to produce the best result, and to bring out the rich flavor of the food. Before returning to Venice, Spaghetti learned much of this new and appealing food. He discovered its energy-producing qualities, its ability to remain fresh and wholesome for long periods of time, and noted the acclaim to which it was received by his shipmates and other Europeans to whom he introduced it. Upon Spaghetti's arrival home, the popularity of this new delicacy soon spread among the villagers, and before long, a similar food made of homegrown wheat was to be found on every table. Unquote. Oh my god, that story. That story right there birthed a myth that gets into now any and all pasta histories. And I imagine some writer working at the Macaroni Journal just grinning maniacally while he or she writes something that they knew to be utterly and completely mendacious and fatuous. And for readers, this story might have been hard to fact check in the 1920s or 30s. But nowadays, we have the Internet, an amazing achievement of humanity that makes the Great Library of Alexandria look like the discount rack at an airport Walden Books. So I found the travels of Marco Polo on Project Gutenberg, and I decided to just double-check this thing to be absolutely sure. I searched through the text, and the proper name Spaghetti did not appear once, and it wouldn't, because Spaghetti is not a proper name. Spaghetti means thin string. If a sailor named Thin String were the one to actually discover and develop spaghetti, that would be an amazing incident of nomative determinism. That would kind of be like Nike hiring a CEO named Shoemaker, or a guy named Smith getting really into playing with anvils, or somebody named Cooper turning into a barrel banker. You get the idea. But the whole Marco Polo thing got a lot more traction with a 1938 Gary Cooper film called The Adventures of Marco Polo. In it, Cooper's character asks a Chinese fellow what noodles are, and the Chinese guy says, in our language, we call them spaghetti. I am not an expert on Chinese or Mongolian languages, but I do not think that is what Kublai Khan would have called noodles. Polo did describe some food he found to be similar to his homeland Lagana, which is probably a predecessor to lasagna. But Lagana was more of a flatbread, and in the travels, the food he described seems to be more of a flatbread than noodles. So, the Marco Polo narrative, the one I grew up with, that's very prevalent in the United States. But not so much in actual Italy. In Italy, there is another origin story of pasta, the world's greatest food, and it's about as accurate as the Marco Polo narrative. Some Italian sources, they claim that pasta wasn't discovered by Marco Polo, or one of his dudes named Spaghetti, but originates on the Italian peninsula itself. So, take that, China. And not only does it supposedly originate on the Italian peninsula, well, pasta might even predate the Roman Empire itself. And you don't get any more authentically Italian than predating the Roman Empire. So, here's some website copy from the International Pasta Organization. It is a trade organization based in Italy, and they say, quote, 
Ancient Etruscan civilizations made pasta by grinding several cereals and grains, and then mixed them with water, a blend that was later uncooked, producing a tasty and nutritious food product. When the Greeks founded Naples, they adopted a dish made by the natives, made up of barley flour and water dried in the sun, which they called makaria. We also find references to pasta dishes in ancient Rome, which date back to the 3rd century before Christ. In fact, the Roman Cicero himself speaks about his passion for the laganum, or lasagna, which are strips of long pasta. During that time, the Romans developed instruments, tools, procedures, and machines to manufacture the pasta for lasagna. Ever since, cereals have exhibited great facilities for both the transportation as well as storage. Ever since, cereals have exhibited great facility for both transportation and storage. It was the Roman expansion and dominion which fostered the harvest of cereals in the whole Mediterranean basin. Unquote. So there you go. Pasta is the most authentically Italian thing ever out there. And this claim rests on a series of Etruscan rock carvings that supposedly show pasta being made. It seems that the pre-Roman Italians mixed grain with water, worked it into a dough, cut it into long strips, and then cooked it on hot rocks. Supposedly, that's the first pasta. Now, I know what you're thinking. That does not sound like pasta. Sure, it's made from grain, and it's in long strips, which can be a pasta shape, but that sounds more like flatbread. And a consensus among food historians seems to be that this was much more like flatbread than pasta. Cutting that into strips doesn't mean that the Etruscans invented pasta. It means they invented breadsticks, which while also an amazing achievement of humanity, are not quite pasta. So these two different narratives about where pasta comes from, they seem to serve two different perceptions of identity. I imagine for Italian-Americans, such as my relatives on my mother's side, that first narrative about Marco Polo's expedition would probably hold more oomph when they were thinking about their own identity. At the beginning of the 20th century, either they or their parents or their grandparents would have been born in not America, and they would have perceived themselves as part of a global population of Italians. Polo was a world traveler, and if you were an Italian born in the United States in the first half of the 20th century, it was probably really easy to identify that guy with your grandmother who got on a boat, sailed to a new land, and served you the best pasta you ever had. For someone in that position, that narrative could be emotionally satisfying. Marco Polo, he's probably like your awesome Italian grandmother who traveled the world, who brought food with her, who did all that great globe-trotting, food-making, food-discovering stuff. That's appealing. If you're from actual Italy, though, there's probably something of a nationalistic or maybe even patriotic urge to see your customs and institutions as being well-established, like well-established, like ancient, like as much a part of your nation as the land itself. And if pasta originates with the ancient Etruscans, then, well, its Italian bona fides are completely unassailable. If you want to construct some idyllic food-based version of national identity for yourself, then there you go. But we don't actually definitively know where pasta's from. It's almost certain that Marco Polo didn't have anything to do with it, and it may very well not be from Italy at all. The prevailing idea now seems to be that pasta, like beer, writing, Abrahamic religions, and lots of other established things of Western civilization, 
came from the Middle East and then migrated to Italy via the Emirate of Sicily, probably in the early 1000s. There is also, maybe, possibly, kind of, a reference to pasta in the Talmud from the 5th century CE, which could possibly refer to Arabic noodles, but it could also refer to flatbread. We just don't know. The actual real origins of pasta are lost to us. What we do know is that by the 1300s, pasta did exist in Italy. The first really clear written reference to it is in a cookbook by an unknown author who gives a recipe for an antecedent of modern lasagna. That Lagana flatbread was then flattened out into flat sheet-like noodles and then layered with cheese and spices. So by then, by the 1300s, we most definitively have Italian pasta. But something does not have to have a neat and tidy origin story or an ancient lineage to be meaningful. Pasta was not brought back by Marco Polo, nor is it woven into the ancient DNA of Italy, but that's okay. If you like pasta, and you should, it's amazing, you do not necessarily need to look to the depths of history to validate your experiences. You do not need to get a well-known historical figure to validate your experiences. You do not need to get a pre-Roman empire to validate your experiences. Your love of pasta, you in a bowl of farafelli or fettuccine or ravioli or whatever you prefer, you and that experience of one of the world's greatest foods, that is enough, regardless of where it came from. Some of you might have noticed that this episode was a few hours late, and for that I apologize. I do have a day job I do besides this podcast. Uh, podcasting does not, unfortunately, pay all the bills, and because of the demands of my day job, I was not able to actually get this out at 12.01 on Thursday, which I've previously been doing. However, if you want to help podcasting pay all the bills, and wow, that would be really cool if it did, uh, support this podcast on Patreon. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com, and there is a thing. You can click it. Uh, send the show a little something every month. That would be excellent and awesome of you. I would really appreciate that, and thank you so much to those of you who have already donated and continue to donate. This podcast exists because you say it does. Uh, we're on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. I am on social media. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Also, follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Thank you all very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.